When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. A very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. And I have to say, coming into work and going through the papers this morning, there's just some really... I suppose depressing stories and how some families are really really struggling at the moment you know parents with children all heading back to school all of the schools are now officially open for the new academic year but you know hearing of parents uh, losing a night's sleep trying to juggle back to school expenses alongside you know energy costs going up and just a, a rise in the basic cost of living the basic food basket going up, going up every single week St Vincent de Paul uh, saying you know the amount of of calls they are receiving and their warning of the impact on families' health and well-being with the cost of living crisis. Oh, it could be really depressing reading some of those uh, stories today. And then, you know, to read a piece from the Commission of Taxation and Welfare and they're the expert group that they, they advise the government on what they should and shouldn't be doing, particularly with regard to the, to the budget, for example. And to hear them in what is described as a far-reaching uh, uh, report and far-reaching recommendations they, now, this is just a suggestion from them to the government that pensioners could lose a range of uh, perks. This expert group is saying, you know, that the government, for example, for the current pensioners, they should scrap the lower USC rates that they currently pay. They should look at the tax reliefs that are given to older people and that the PR, PRSI exemption should also be abolished for retirees. Now, the Commission on Taxation and Welfare, as the reason for it, they're saying is that more money is going to be needed for the ageing population. So what they're saying is target the retirees that are there at the moment, which isn't going to go down well with older people who are also really, really scrambling. So while you've got those kind of stories in all of the papers today. There's then another story that I know will annoy a lot of people. And this is the story that is saying that Dáil deputies will see their salaries rise by more than €6,500 to nearly €1,800 a year. And this is under the new public sector pay deal. Now, that's currently been negotiated by the government. But, of course, that new public sector pay deal, which is for all of the civil servants, will, of course, also include members of the Oireachtas. Now, if, if what has been negotiated at the moment is agreed on, it would result in uh, TDs, 
he's been initially paid a lump sum that would be of over €2,000 in November. That's if the, when the provision of 3% increase kicks in for 2022 because that's going to be backdated for all of the civil servants. That'll be backdated to February. So TDs will be getting €2,275 extra in their paycheck in November. Senators would get a, a similar lump sum payment, a kind of a back payment, and theirs would be for €1,600. Government ministers then, because obviously they're paid more, they would be eligible for almost €10,000 uh, if the deal is adopted. But of course, they may choose to forgo the increases because they've done that. Government ministers have done that for the last number of years. Now, the deal has yet to be ratified after being agreed on Tuesday of this week. It will now go out to all of the unions for ballot and that ballot is expected to take place over the next uh, five weeks. The coalition decided two years ago, of course, the cabinet members and ministers of state would gift 10% of their salaries to to the state on an annual basis together with a pay increase due under the building momentum the, the pay down that's now being proposed that's going to be extended so it's the TDs who would see an increase they're currently paid 101,193 euro a year which of course a lot of the newspapers are pointing out is more than double the current average industrial wage the average industrial wage is just a little under 45 and a half thousand euro that's according to the CSO figures so if this deal goes ahead the TD would go from 101,000 to nearly 108,000 a year but of course some TDs have chosen to forgo recent rises and some may choose uh, to forgo this one as well. A senator's current pay is 70,870 euro a a year their salary would go to 75,476 euro. Under the uh, terms thought is likely to be accepted by the public sector unions but as I say the ballot will will take place over the next five weeks there's a 3% increase backdated to February that's where the lump sum payment uh, comes in and then further 2% that will be March of next year and then the final hike will be in October of 2023 which will be 1.5% and meanwhile as well up to 12,000 nurse managers should get an immediate 3% pay rise that's under that new uh, public sector uh, wage uh, proposal the document which is bro- was brokered at the Workplace Relations Commission earlier this week says the payment recommendation by an expert group should be paid uh, in full as soon as possible to uh, nurse and managers. But it's just it's the fact that the public sector are to get this uh, pay and the fact that the government, all of the politicians salaries are pegged to the upper grades within the civil service. That's why uh, TDs would get the increase. But it's just to see headlines saying that TDs to get a rise of six and a half thousand euro. And when you see that next to an article saying that some of our pensioners could could lose some of their perks thanks to the tax commission. And then you see on another page, Vincent de Paul saying they've never had so many calls to their helpline and they're hearing of parents who are literally losing a night's sleep, worried 
about how they're going to get their children and how they got their children back to school uh, this year. Just all oh, seems wrong, doesn't it? John and Glenn Gareth was on the phone to John Paul saying, Patricia just mentioned that today is the first day of autumn, but August 1st is the first day of autumn. That's if you go by May Day is the first day of summer. How is today the first day of autumn? I think people, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that's kind of one of those arguments that starts every year because I know if I say on the first day of May, oh, it's the first day of summer, you'll inevitably have people say, no, no, it's June. You've got to wait until June for the first day of summer. And it's kind of the same with uh, with autumn. Is it the first of August or is it the first of uh, September? It's just one of those things. Some people see the first of August as the first official day of autumn. Others see it as the first of uh, September. 0818103103. Heidi says, morning, Patricia. Crude oil on the New York Stock Exchange is now down to 87 uh, cents uh, a barrel. Uh, so, yeah, because we had gone over the our $87 a barrel, 87 cents, God, but we wish it'd be 87 cents, as you, $87 a barrel. It had gone to 100, and that was one of the reasons why petrol and diesel had started to go up in uh, price lately. But Heidi's keeping an eye on the New York Stock Exchange, and she said it's gone under the $100 a barrel again and down to 87. Now, we all, we're always told that when it's the crude, the price of the barrel of crude oil goes down, it takes about three weeks for that knock-on effect to be seen in the petrol pumps. So make a note in your calendar and see does it drop in three weeks' time. But the one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if anyone else is uh, spotting it, is the difference between the price of unleaded petrol and the price of diesel. There's a huge gap developing. I passed a garage this morning, for example, an unleaded petrol, and it's the first time I've seen it at the one one euro seventy-eight. I think it might have been point something, but one euro seventy-eight cent for unleaded petrol. I think it's the first time I've personally seen it at one seventy anything. It was it was you know because it went over the two euro a litre at one stage and then the diesel one was at €1.96 so there's a big gap developing are others noticing that as well and I'm trying to find out why is the diesel I think I know I looked at it before I think it's something to do with the way it's processed or something but certainly anybody in a diesel car at the moment is paying more for a fill than somebody who parks up beside you and gets a fill of unleaded petrol Uh, we're going to be back again I think to doing those you know where we'll be doing shout outs and letting people know that such and such a garage has diesel at a, at a certain price or unleaded at a certain price but there certainly does seem to be differences and it's always the argument uh, that's put forward to, uh, to people to shop around to keep an eye out on what the petrol is at your local garage and keep a look out if you're passing a garage and you need a fill and it's cheaper than your local garage then go in and fill up 0818 103 103 you can text you can whatsapp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Now yesterday I spoke about the cafe owner in Athlone who received quite a shocking electricity bill and she was pondering how she could keep her business going if energy prices continue to rise so how are schools getting on when it comes to heating and lighting bills Siobhan Buckley is the principal at the Presentation National School in Mill Street and Siobhan joins me this morning. Good morning to you Siobhan. Good morning Patricia. And it's great to have you on the programme. I suppose firstly talk to me about electricity bills. Now before the summer holidays were you starting to see an increase in your electricity bills? Yeah, yeah. 
I suppose, you know, they were creeping up incrementally, to be honest. But um, in the month of May then, I got one for 2500 And to be honest, I was reading, you know. And, you know, I suppose schools, we are very heavily dependent on electrical devices, you know, our interactive whiteboards. We have air purifiers in every room at the minute. So, you know, I will say that, you know, there was probably additional things because of COVID. But at the same time, you could not just even contemplate that kind of a bill coming in. Oh, that's and up by how much and what would traditionally be a summer bill? Um, it, was, it was less than double, you oh, know, just me. slightly shy of double. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, now, as I said, uh, luckily, uh, we had a little bit of a surplus from the two previous years because schools were closed, bills weren't as high. So, you know, I was able to deal with it last June but I am you know I'm just reeling now at the thought of facing the coming year I mean I think we all know last week our our specific energy um, supplier to our school increased is going to increase by 35.5% so what was 2,500 before the summer is going to be 3,3 and we're heading into the winter where you'll you know. be where you'll obviously have more lights on and more use Completely. of electricity then exactly. the heating of how do you heat the school yeah so again um oil so my oil bill for last year was just shy of 6000 it's normally around the 4 you know but again i could see that creeping up and again during covid we had the heating on the windows open you know we were trying to juggle uh two scenario you know yeah. um so, you know, we have to keep schools heated and, you know, everybody's entitled to work in a, a warm environment. But at the same time, we had the windows open due to COVID, you know, so we were trying to, to juggle with that as well. But again, our oil bills, I know, are going to go up this year. Mm. And I suppose, Patricia, just to explain, every school gets a capitation allowance every year, OK? Yeah. There has been little or no um, increase in that over the past number of years. Um, out of that capitation comes everything we've spoken about already, plus insurance. Insurance is about €9,000 a year, you know. Um, waste disposal, um, online licences, photocopying is about 4000 You know, our grant of 39000 slips away very quickly Absolutely. on running the school, keeping the lights on and the place heated. And I suppose from my point of view, and I suppose I am an optimistic person, I would always see the jog as half full, um, but I, I'm worried. And I suppose the, the irony and the sadness of this is, as any a principal is tasked, your main priority should be quality teaching and learning in schools. For that to happen, schools need to be well-resourced. But because we are covering ourselves in terms of bills, you know, it's, it's the children and it's the quality learning loses out, really, because the money is going towards running the school essentially. And that capitation granted, it's the one thing that I can never get my head around. You the primary school section yes. gets way less than the secondary school. Absolutely. Schools. Yeah. So a child in primary school gets on average one euro per day, whereas a child in secondary school gets two euro. And again, you know, you would think it has nothing to do with the size of the child or the age of the child. The school still needs to be run. Yeah. All school structures are similar really, you know. Our one here is a kind of an old, you know, part of the school is very old. It's a sprawling building. Um, so I just cannot understand how the minister can see the logic in this. You and know? is there any talk of an increase in the capitation grant? You know, obviously I'd be very um, active in INTO and part of our submission this year and year on year is to, you know, address that anomaly between primary and secondary. Well, increase it at the very least. But, you know, essentially you know, level the playing field for all our, all schools. It should be the same. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. you've got the very same bills, and you know, and, 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 and I think the, you know, the, the real analogy is the the children in sixth class who can then go across the road to, to a secondary school, Within and suddenly months, their capitation grant. Yes. Yeah, it just yes. it absolutely makes, it makes and, absolutely no sense. And even with the double capitation grant, I know. Well, if I rang any of the secondary school principals, they'll say, "Look, we're, we we are struggling as well." Would you also, Siobhan, be aware of how? families are struggling? Um, I suppose I'm very keenly aware of it and I'd be very sensitive um, to that situation. And, you know, every year um, we, every school asks for a parent contribution, but I fully understand that's voluntary. And, you know, you, you can ask once, but I certainly would not be applying pressure or seeing it through to the bitter end. You know, I fully understand that some parents can't afford it. You know, I suppose we've simplified down our uniform over the years so that well all they have to buy from us, for our point of view, is um, a crested jumper and they can get that in town and after that they can get the, the pants, the skirts, the shirts um, in the high street shops or, you know, Little Aldi or whatever suits, you know. Um, to me, that's important. And obviously we have a book loan scheme so we try to take the pressure off in terms of that. And I suppose I would ask every teacher to be sensitive to the children in the class. And if the books aren't coming in, that we would speak with the parent and come to some arrangement, you know. Did, did I read also that in your school you cut out workbooks and you use the good old fashioned well, copies instead? Well, do you know what? I, you know, I, I, we, we had a staff meeting there in June and I just put it out there, you know, because some um, book lists were heavily laden with um, workbooks and stuff. And, I just, you know, even if every teacher cut out one workbook, yeah, you know, a handwriting workbook, and we're we're phasing in the handwriting copy again. Yeah, cheap and cheerful. Yeah, and nothing it wrong with this. Serve the same purpose, you know. <laughs> nothing wrong with it. We all yeah. we all learn to write that way in 100%. the good of good old yeah. fashioned copy books. Yeah. Now you also have an ASD class. Is that we adequately have. funded? Uh, you know, I have to say, and I'm probably dead down the department, but they have been absolutely fantastic in funding that, in terms of setup grants, furniture grants, um, equipment, IT. They have been. Absolutely amazing in terms of that. So I will give credit where credit is due there. Well done. Well, well done on that. But I yeah. suppose if, you know, hearing you say that you, you managed to save a bit during COVID times when the class, when yeah. the school wasn't open. And that's obviously now you've you've used up a lot of that. Do you worry, Siobhan, if something unexpected happens? You don't sound like you have a rainy day fund. Uh, oh, absolutely not. No. And, you know, again, as I said, buildings are old. They're, you know, the leak in the roof. Um, and I, you know, I was looking at my overheads from last year. Just ordinary electrical and plumbing maintenance in the building came to about three thousand. You know, just replacing bulbs. Um, you know, plumbing issues that went wrong. They're kind of year to year stuff that does happen. But it's as you say, um, Patricia. It's the unexpected. You'd be half dreading it. Now I know the department do provide emergency funding, but that takes a while to come through. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it w- it would want to be a significant issue before that would kick in, you know. And you're back, you're, are you back since Wednesday? Are you back since um, yesterday? So we or had we... staff Tuesday for a few hours and everybody yesterday then, yeah. Is there great excitement on day one? Ah, uh, sure, it's lovely. I mean, you know, as I say, behind it all, teachers as a body, we're very enthusiastic about our job and about our profession and welcoming the children back in their lovely uniforms and should they're delighted to be back as well. And I suppose all that compensates for, for the worries that are in the back of my mind. We had a lovely day yesterday and, you know, today is going well as well and, you know, so far so good. I spoke to you earlier in the year because uh, you had yeah. a, a number of Ukrainian students who arrived, it was over the Easter holidays. How, um, how are they getting on? 
Yeah, so I suppose over the summer, some children went into more settled accommodation around the country, yet more children um, have come. So Green Glens has a capacity of 300. So there is a transience about it. So I suppose we got back 10 of our original pupils and I think we've nine newcomers. So, you know, we were trying to settle the new children, yet it was lovely to see our familiar children from Ukraine in, in uniforms. They knew the run of the school. They were confident. They were happy, you know. So, um, but again, Patricia, I suppose we have a challenge now with the Ukrainian children in the sense that um, it's very clear that the war in Ukraine is not going to come to an end anytime soon. Yeah. And while before the summer we looked at it as a nine-week project and our priorities were to settle the children that they wouldn't be anxious, improve their spoken English and integrate them in music, art, PE and things like that. We didn't buy books, we didn't buy uniforms. But, you know, this year now the challenge is slightly more complex in the sense that we have to look at this as a, as a year, an academic year for those children. And we have to engage them more in our curriculum. You know, we, we, they need books and, you know, some of them have got a few already and we will um, buy books from no problem. So, you know, we have to, I suppose, step it up another bit in terms of our duty of care and our duty to educate them for the time that they are in our country. You know? it, it's, yeah. Yeah, it certainly is going to be longer than what even when their parents fled Ukraine, they were of the belief they would be home probably uh, in a matter of weeks or months. I think I, they're I starting think so. to realise yeah. it now as well. They are. They yeah. are. You know, and they're anxious for their children to, I suppose, to do their best here and for them to have the best possible learning outcomes while they're here. And they're integrating well with the... the Children from the local area? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And some of them got involved in the cool camp here during the summer. And Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Would, you, would so. you have children from Jershan as well, from the asylum centre? Yeah. Okay. We have. We're, we're, we're truly international in every sense, you know. Um, we have a lovely mix of nationalities here. And, um, you know, I suppose it, it, it creates a great sense of inclusion and tolerance among, among all of us, you know, embracing cultures and religions and everything. And, you know, it's, it's good for every child involved, really. Yeah. And children don't see any difference between they skin colour, between creed, class. Not. Children, no. are, children are uh, children. But they, I mean, the, the children in the asylum centres, because their parents are on uh, very small money. I mean, do you, do you have to try and help them out? I, again, um, we don't put undue pressure. Do you and it, and if we can help at all, we do. Yeah. You're great. You're a great yeah. bunch in, in Mill Street. Listen, it's always no, a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great academic year, Siobhan. No Thank doubt you, we'll Patricia. speak again, but thanks for joining us. Good morning Take to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Siobhan Buckley. She's such a lovely, lovely lady. She is the principal in the Presentation National School in Mill Street, but really showing that while all of us are worried about running our households and when the, what the electricity bills are going, to, are going to be like, just can you imagine from a school situation and you know really principals as and, and I think Siobhan very much got that point across should be focused on the children and the their academic work and socialising them and children getting on and instead you've got principals I imagine lying awake at night worried with uh, what the, the ESB bill is going to be like or what is the oil if the oil uh, runs out how much is the tank of oil going to cost Pat in Charleville said listening there uh, to your principal Siobhan Buckley from Mill Street talking about the cost of running the school and, the, and then having heard you earlier saying that TDs and ministers are in line for a pay rise when and where is this all going to end that's from Pat in Charleville and Jim says uh, Patricia people are just talking 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 will we ever all just stop talking about energy price rises and start lobbying 
lobbying TDs and arranging proper protests. These energy companies need to be stopped from making these astronomical profits off the backs of people. Jim feels that the time, the time for talking we need to stop. We now need to take action. That's by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Every year we hear calls to end daylight saving time. Uh, but not putting the clocks back or forward in the by not putting clocks back or forward in the spring or the winter time. But with an energy crisis, will shortening darker evenings be more important than ever this year? Fidegas Senator Tim Lombard thinks so, and he joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Now, clocks are not due to go back until Sunday, October the the thirtieth. So I think it's important we need to be discussing it uh, now. But do you believe it could actually help this year if if we leave the clocks the way they are? Yeah, I think it'll have a huge impact if we were to do it. Um, I was at the Climate Action Committee last Tuesday in the Oireachtas where we spent nearly four hours discussing the security crisis we're at the moment uh, regarding energy. And look, it became very, very obvious that we're going to have a huge issue for the next three years. Um, Amber Alerts probably will become a normal part of our daily life, which is a really frightening thing. The cost of energy is going to be a huge energy, but to have energy supply and the that constant supply will become the ultimate thing for the next few years. Um, the interconnectors between us and the UK are under pressure because it's a European issue more so than an actual Irish issue itself. So supply of energy is going to be a huge issue. So if we were to think about what we can do in a very short space of time, like this take three years to build a gas plant, interconnectors will take longer for obvious reasons. Um, we need to probably start thinking about other solutions, how we can actually minimise our actual energy consumption in a short space of time. One of the things that we could look at is to actually look at this actual time-saving issue that happens on the 31st of October, where we have um, a change in the actual clock itself. If we were to forego that, the knock-on impact would be that, um, according to research done by Queen's University and um, Professor Foley up there, that would have a huge impact on their actual energy consumption itself. And I think it's a practical solution to seeing this problem. OK, we'd have slightly darker mornings, but at least we'd yeah. have a further hour of daylight in the evening time. Yes, and they're on with the peak time. Peak time is between five and seven. And that peak time is very important because it's quite possible that on that peak time between five and seven, there's going to be an extra surcharge put on all uses of power anything from 5% for residential to 12% for commercial people. So what that means is from 5 to 7, there's possibly going to be a charge put on everyone who uses power for that. With, and the real issue here is that's the peak time that we've got to grid from the exceptional pressure. So if we were to extend the actual hour out, we would be actually so-called, I hate use the terminology, flattening the curve, which is what they're saying. And by flattening the curve, the risk to Number one, paying more for energy between five and seven would be reduced. But number two, these amber um, warnings we have at the moment, they will hopefully be reduced as well. 
Okay, in 2019, uh, MEPs voted to scrap daylight uh, saving hours and I've lost count of the number of interviews over the last number of years that we've done interviews on this with people very much against the clocks going back. Now, you, you will have a cohort of people uh, who liked the idea of the clocks, particularly going forward in the summertime, but certainly the winter one, I think the majority of people uh, were against it. Why has nothing happened since that vote in 2019 across the EU? Yeah, it was a vote in 2019. I think MEP Kelly and many other MEPs in Peakloon could speak at length about this. Uh, the European Union believed it was a good idea that we should actually move to actually a more standard time mechanism of not changing the clock. There was an issue at the time regarding Northern Ireland and, and Ireland regarding having two time zones on the oil itself. And I think that became a big issue for us as a nation because the UK made it very clear that they weren't in favour of it. But unfortunately, a bit like Ireland, um, the UK is in the exact same energy issue at the moment. Mm. It's, in fact, if anything, they're telling me, some analysts are telling me that next February and March, in particular in the UK, could be the, an absolute nightmare regarding energy issues over there. So just logic in the entire oils itself, both Ireland and the UK, looking at this logically and saying we should really look at, you know, changing this time issue because the energy effect it could have for both nations is the norm. And we are literally in an energy emergency. We need to start thinking outside the box. And it's about trying to get solutions in place in the next five or six weeks because the long-term solutions, whether it's offshore wind, whether it is LNG, whatever they do about LNG, they are going to take a period of time to be delivered. Well, this could actually be delivered in a very, very short space of time and will have a huge impact on natural energy because the energy used in the morning will still be the same amount of energy because, unfortunately, we all get up in the morning, whether it's bright outside or not, we probably turn on the light anyway because it's slightly dull and we go through our morning routine. But the energy we save at the evening will become the big issue. And I think that could have a huge, huge knock-on effect to the actual grid itself. So does the Irish government need to start having negotiations with their counterparts in the UK and come to some decision on this together? I think that's the solution here. I think it's a logical, balanced solution here. And I think we need to start really start having that negotiation immediately. And that is, in my opinion, how we can save vast amounts of energy for both islands to make sure we're going to have the people who live in both islands actually have an energy security winter because this issue about energy security even for one year probably for the next three or four years on a minimum because we'll take that long for capacity to be built up to actually service the needs of our nation. And and also just on the the daylight saving hours. I mean, it was introduced during the First World War and it was introduced to prolong daylight in the summer. It's it's an out-of-date practice anyway, isn't it? Ah, oh, completely out-of-date. Like, well, about energy, and energy is one part of it. I think energy plays into it this debate now. But, like, the whole idea of what we've done because it happened in the First World War and traditionally what have happened, in, you know, from then onwards, it makes no logical sense to actually have this time difference changing in October. And, like, we all want for longer evening quality of life issues, get out and do, do stuff in the evening time. And even from my own point of view, I, I find it quite depressing that time of the year when the clock goes, goes back. I think it's a really down kind of part of the year because the evenings are so long and they are so protracted. So there's an awful lot of arguments in favour that the energy will now is becoming the key one. And I think that could and should be tactics to get things done. 
Okay, and in, and interesting that you you know you mentioned about that peak time of between five and and seven, and it's the Commission for uh, Regulation of Utilities, the CRU, that are suggesting that there will be some kind of a tariff placed on the that peak those peak two hours. But I was I was reading in the, in the um, Farmers Journal uh, this morning. Um, Farmers who milk cows, and traditionally they milk cows between five and seven, they could really be hit by this increase in peak electricity tariffs. Absolutely, and I raised this issue at the, uh, the meeting last Tuesday. Uh, I brought it to the attention of the Commission. Um, it's like we can change activities regarding, do you know, whether we wash clothes between five and seven, or, you know, activities at domestic level. But to be really honest, when it comes to the agricultural energy intensity of milking cows, there's very little, if anything, we can do because that is the actual peak time you're going to be milking your animals. And I think I've asked the Commission to actually look at that because I don't think it's appropriate because farmers have no other option here. You want to milk your... There's very few farmers I know when you milk cows from 8 or 9 o'clock at night or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The majority of farmers milk between 5 and 7. They cool their milk after that, obviously. And they have no other option. And I think the Commission haven't realised that. And I think the Commission, I made it very much aware to them on Tuesday that this has to be an issue that looked at. Otherwise, the cohort of farmers that are going to be paying extra for the energy levels like everyone else will be grossly affected because a lot of their energy is used at that period of the day. And they have no option there. They have no way of around the running. Either the Commission does something or they'll have to pay. Okay, somebody wants to know, could you please ask Senator Tim Lombard, what about Barry Row gas field off West Cork? Is that Has that any capacity for increasing gas supply? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. So we do, during the week, um, the carb gas field over in Mayo got um, a new lease of life. There was a proposal that they could extend that field by 10 years by using different technology. So that's gone to the department now. The Barry Row gas field is a different affair. So we have um, a proposal for a drilling license in the department for the last eight or nine months. I actually raised that issue with the minister as well on Tuesday. And the minister basically, in my opinion, fluffed the question whether or not he was going to actually give a response to the people who wanted to do it in Bayro. Um, my, my view on Bayro is that it will cost the state nothing regarding drilling Bayro. It's going to be a commercial entity. It's going to be trying to see if there's gas out there. And if there is gas out there, it could be a part of a national solution to our energy issue. Um, the minister, in my opinion, has a duty of care to make sure that we check to make sure we have the potential to create enough energy on the island to supply the people on the island itself. So there will be exceptional fiscal pressure put on the minister to actually move on that license itself. Okay, and, and just and actually talking of the energy minister, Eamon Ryan, I mean, he's spoken about his worry uh, with uh, rising costs. I mean, he says that's the biggest problem we face going into this uh, winter. Are you confident, uh, Tim, that this month's budget will be able to help people? Because we're hearing from so many people who really are struggling. Just a couple of minutes ago, speaking with a, a local principal, you know, talking about in schools, their electricity bill and their oil uh, bills are going up. And let alone all the families and other businesses. We had that business in Athlone who got a shocking electricity bill to the point she's querying, can she stay in, in business? Will the budget be able to do enough? I think there's two issues there. There's cost and the supply. I think supply is a massive issue first. I think we've got that. I think the cost, like this makes the 1970s oil crisis look like, a, you know, just a, um, one of these big days that went by because I think this is a huge issue first. I think what's going to, what the state 
So I think there's going to be an awful lot of money put into it. But I think you've never, we've never seen a crisis like this since the 70s. Like, I've never seen it in my time. I think this is literally our 1975 crisis. And the other issue is, it's going to be a long-term issue. This isn't going to be solved in six or eight months. Like the war in Ukraine is continuing. There's a European demand for energy out there. The cost of energy is going to be continually high for a long, long period of time. So I would think that the majority of the budget funding that's been spent will be on cost of living measures itself. Energy and food are the two main costs there. And I think there's going to be a real significant package put in place. But you're dead right, like schools, like sporting halls, community sporting halls, please keep it on to me. They don't know how they're going to run their affairs going forward because of the cost of energy. Like this will have a knock-on impact of all sectors of society. Yeah. Okay, and finally, do we need a ban on disconnections this winter, similar to what we put in place during the pandemic? On what disconnections? Yeah, you know, um, people who can't pay their electricity bills. Oh, absolutely. Like, this is like... I was spoken to you previously about the bag of coal and, you know, the cohort of people are going to be affected by that. I think, you know, we really need to look at the section of society that's going to be under most pressure. And that's going to be a huge section here under most under exception pressure. And I would absolutely advocate that we should not have a disconnection and everyone has to walk through this crisis. And it's a bit like, you know, COVID, we'll sort out afterwards where we have to because we cannot have a scenario of people who are in financial issues going cold Okay. All right. Listen, Tim, we'll speak again in the meantime. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Before I get into some of your calls and comments coming in, a story that I spotted on the news wires this morning. It's a story out of Roscommon and Roscommon GAA are confirming there's an investigation underway into an incident involving a referee. It was during a minor championship match yesterday evening. And when I saw this pop up on the news wires, I just thought, how and are we ever going to stop this abuse of referees? And it's something that seems to be getting much more common now at GAA matches and at soccer matches. You don't see it in rugby matches, but you're certainly we certainly are seeing more and more of it. It seems now I don't have a name on this referee, but he was uh, he was taking part and he was officiating at an underage game in Roscommon yesterday evening. He required medical attention after he was allegedly assaulted during the second half of the game. Now, it must have been serious because an ambulance was called. Now, the match obviously was subsequently abandoned and this morning Roscommon GAA are issuing a statement just obviously saying they're aware of the incident at the underage match. In fact, it was an underage match yesterday evening and um, they've obviously wished the pro referee involved a speedy uh, recovery and they've condemned what happened they said any behaviour that puts any of our match officials at risk they strongly condemn it Uh, Roscommon GAA and the county's competitions control committee will now commence a full investigation into into the issue but isn't it just shocking that that can happen at an underage match to get assaulted to the point that an ambulance needed to be called. So we wish that referee the best and we'll keep an eye on the story. But it is truly, truly shocking. Now, a lot of people actually picking up on my interview with Siobhan Buckley, the, who is the principal at the Presentation National School in Mill Street. But a number, and, and we invited her on just to talk on behalf of other schools and how, you know, 
what are schools going through as they're trying to face you know higher electricity bills higher heating bills insurance costs and just their capitation grant is remaining the same so they've got one pot of money to try to pay all of these bills and I think you know Siobhan laid out just how difficult it is for schools all over the country but a lot of people picking up on the warmth of Siobhan Buckley as a teacher and as a principal uh, including one an email in from my namesake Patricia saying hi Patricia what a wonderful teacher um, Siobhan Buckley is lots of common sense and so sensitive to all of the situations situations. Siobhan, I would suggest this. Patricia, she'll be Minister for Education. She is making so much sense. Actually, actually, yeah, she'd make a great, she'd make a wonderful Minister for Education. What struck me and what I thought about when I was talking to her uh, when she mentioned that she's actively involved in the INTO, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, she'd make a fine president of the INTO as well because she'd very much put forward from a teacher's point of view, but she comes at it very much from the pupil's uh, point of view. She really is uh, very, very caring uh, indeed. And actually, we had spoken with her earlier in the year when they discovered at Easter time that Mill Street was to get a group of Ukrainian refugees and they were straight out of the box, herself and the other teachers, during the Easter holidays because they realised that once the children went back after Easter, they'd have to be opening their doors to Ukrainian refugees. And I remember talking to her then and thinking, what a caring, kind principal, how lucky those little boys and girls would be going into that kind of a setting. Because if you get a principal like that, it ripples down to all of the staff. And I know if I'd Siobhan on, she'd say, oh, you know, it's a f- the, all of the staff involved, she, she's just heading up a team. But you, you, you just know when you have a principal like that, that every single other staff member will be as kind and caring as she is. So certainly if you're if your children are attending Mill Street National School, they're, they're a lucky bunch indeed. And Anne was also on to say, Patricia, listening to, to you speaking to Siobhan Buckley there, she came across as such a gorgeous, compassionate uh, lady. So well done for having her on uh, the programme. And Anne also says, and then listening about TDs and the possibility that they'll get a pay rise this year. What are they doing to deserve this? It sounds absolutely ridiculous to me. We, the people of Ireland, should try and fight against this, says Anne. Well, the TDs in their defence will say they're not looking for the pay increase but they are tied in to the public sector pay deal and because the public sector unions are fighting on behalf of their members whatever the public sector members get then our TDs and senators uh, will get as well because they're uh, tied in with senior civil servants most of their pay uh, is so they're not actually looking for it is what they will come back and say. Hi, Ross says Hi Patricia, it looks like the rich are getting richer in this country and the poor seem to be getting poorer. We'll end up having a French revolution. No wonder there's so much crime going on at the moment says uh, Ross. Hi Patricia, how, the, this is back to schools, how the, how the devil did we manage years ago? We had a copy book in the Wellington and a pencil behind our ear. We had no heating in the school. Children are spoiled rotten, says uh, Pat. Ah, come on, Pat. What are, you, are you saying that children should be back to the days where there was no heating inside in schools? I don't know whatever about the children putting up with it. I don't think the parents uh, would. And then on the cost of diesel and fuel going up all the time and trying to work out, you know, the price of the barrel of oil has come down a bit. Why are we not seeing further uh, reductions at the petrol pumps? Uh, this is... this text assigned Joe Bloggs to say the price of the barrel of oil is going down but 
The euro is dropping against the dollar. We really just can't catch a break. Uh, is it not wonderful that our TDs may be able to get another pay- wage uh, increase? This will be, they'll be even more out of touch than the, oh, sorry, they'll be more out of touch than the ordinary Joe Bloggs. Sorry, I thought it was signed. Uh, Joe Bloggs, thank you. I, there's, there's no name on that. Jim says, when we're talking about energy crisis, why, oh, why are they not making it easier to install solar panels? I'm assuming uh, Jim is talking about why the government are not making it easier for solar, for all of us to install solar panels in our home. Uh, could it be something that the government needs to be looking at well, with the Greens in power? It certainly is something that they would be calling for and certainly would be advocating. Joe in Kilmallock remembers years ago when the lights in the town of Kilmallock, they automatically went off. Joe reckons they used to go off at midnight. There was some kind of a timer. So they came on as the evening started to get dark. But on the stroke of midnight, all the street lights uh, went out. Uh, Joe says he clearly remembers walking home from Kilfinnan to Kilmallock after midnight and the place would be in utter darkness. Is that not something that we could could bring in to save energy. Do you know something, Joe? I think they are the kind of things that will end up being introduced. You're going to see buildings that normally say leave lights on overnight. Certainly all the public buildings, I imagine, are all going to be plunged into darkness. There will be a lot of energy saving things like that. Certainly that will be done as we head into uh, the winter months for sure. Thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. Also coming in on, let me go back to the texts. So many texts and WhatsApps are coming in. Oh, Pat is wondering about Minister Stephen Donnelly. Has he not done the same thing as Robert Troy? If so, should he not be resigning, says Pat? Well, he has the full backing of all of the coalition leaders. But then some would say so did uh, Robert Troy. Well, he did up to when Eamon Ryan came out. Now, can you say he's he's in he's done the same as Robert Troy? In case people are unaware of this, it's a, a news story doing the rounds uh, today. The health minister um, has admitted that he had it's a property that he says he forgot to register the property with the Residential Tenancies Board and he forgot to register it for three years. Now, I suppose some will say, including Stephen Donnelly, that his story is slightly different to Robert Troy's because Robert Troy wasn't just one isolated incident of a property not being reg- registered with the Residential T- Property Board. There was every day there seemed to be something else coming out about Robert uh, Troy that then forced him to resign on a controversy that went on for almost uh, two weeks. Now, it was the Irish Times initially reported this story of Stephen Donnelly. He has a property in Sandyford and it was due to be registered with the Residential Property Board, the RTB, in 2019. Now, according to the Minister, he said due to an oversight, it was only registered last week. The Minister had the property with a long-standing tenancy. The tenancy was registered and renewed with the RTB on a number of occasions between 2011 and 2015 and now it currently is registered. It's been sorted out this week. But due to an oversight, the tenancy registration wasn't renewed in 2019 when it should have been and obviously it wasn't renewed then in 2020 or 2021. The RTB indicated that this should be backdated on 
online, which has been done this uh, week. Pat feels that that falls into the very, very same category as what happened to Robert Troy and therefore Minister Stephen Donnelly should resign as Minister for Health. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp to 086 103 And somebody's been on to say a purse was lost on the main street in Clonakilty between the Imperial Hotel upwards in that general direction heading up the main street from the Imperial Hotel. The purse is belonging to a person who is on holidays and is deeply upset to lose it. So it would be great if we could show the good old West Cork hospitality and kindness and honesty that whoever has picked up that purse will return it. Now, with the person who's on holidays has contacted us and we have all of that person's contact details. So if anybody, I just don't know when, I'm assuming, I don't know if it was this morning, John Paul is very busy with calls, so I can't check in with him. But if anybody found a purse on the main street in Clonakilty, can you contact us? please 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs Teleporter is wanted for an immediate start on a construction site at Bridge Street in Cork City call 087 Sandfield Dental Practice they're on the Cork Road in Mallow they've got vacancies for full and part-time dental nurse and a receptionist you can apply by post or you can email Hello, Sandfield Dental at gmail.com. An apprentice stonemaker is wanted for Cork City and for West Cork. Stone, brick, and block laying experience would be an advantage, although not essential as training will be provided. Your own car would also be desirable. 085 806 And a physiotherapist is wanted for full time hours in a busy private clinic in the Newmarket area. This may actually suit a new graduate. Call 087-338-2064 or you can email johalophysio at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Sea Change is Ireland's national programme dedicated to ending mental health stigma and discrimination. And next week, they'll launch their 10th annual Green Ribbon campaign, inviting people to wear a green ribbon to show others that you're willing to talk about mental health. Dara Fleming, who is a Cork author and freelance writer, is an ambassador for Sea Change Ireland. And she joins me ahead of next week's uh, launch. Good morning to you, Dara. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, I suppose if I can take you back um, to, I suppose, a very sad time in your life. Your introduction to mental health was at the age of 17 when, sadly, your best friend uh, took his own life. What effect did that death have on you personally, Dara? Uh, Yeah, I mean, so as you said, like it was my introduction to mental health. So before that moment, I'd never even heard what mental health was. Like, it wasn't really talked about at all in school at the time. So my introduction was tragic. And, it, you know, it taught me how serious an impact uh, poor mental health can have on you. Like, you can take your life in, in cer- certain circumstances. And then for me, um, I was grieving for a long time. And I thought what I was 
experiencing was grief, but it actually had morphed into quite a severe depression. And for a long time, it wasn't even so much that I was feeling sad all the time, but I couldn't feel anything. So I couldn't feel anger, sadness, happiness, excitement. It was just total numbness for um, quite a long time uh, because of the, the repercussions of, you know, uh, breathing uh, such a tragic death. And then eventually I was in third year college and I just had a panic attack on the street on a night out. Uh, just when I was with my friends, had a huge panic attack. And it was at that point that I realized there was something going on that I wasn't addressing. I was, I was ignoring it for, for sure. So at that point, once I had the panic attack, uh, it kind of woke me up to like realizing I needed to reach out for help. So I did, started going to counseling and kind of got back on the road to getting to a better place mentally. Well done. And and at the time when you were struggling with, with all of those issues, did you talk to any of your friends at the time? No, I mean, I think like, so we're talking now, I was, when I started going to counselling, I was 20. So from 17 to 20, like I did talk to my friends about Irby and about his death and how I was struggling with that. Like, you know, in the, in the aftermath, the direct aftermath, like six months after, but I think people naturally started to move on with their lives as, as you, you have to, but I never could. And I kind of felt, I suppose, ashamed of that for a long time and was stigmatizing myself. And I, I just felt like there was something wrong with me and I felt that there shouldn't be. So it was very hard for me to open up um, once the first, the, you know, the grieving period had passed and I still wasn't feeling great. It was, it was very hard to, to open up, but eventually I did. And I think the hardest thing for me was actually telling my parents that I needed to go to counseling because again, I was stigmatizing myself and I thought they'd, you know, they'd see me differently or they'd be disappointed. But like, the opposite was true they were the most supportive and they understood so i think that that self-stigma was a problem and still is a problem to an extent where you think because i guess societal values and how we've treated mental health and mental illness is that you kind of believe that there's something wrong with you when it's a totally normal thing to happen yeah and you go through that whole thing there's only me there's nobody else going through what what I'm uh, going through and, and would I be right as well in saying Dara because you were a young man it's almost like we're conditioned to believe you know big boys don't cry and men need to be stronger is that all part of it as well definitely an aspect of it and I mean like I went to an all boys school so I think it's even heightened in those um, scenarios because you know you're you're kind of brought up to not cry when you're feeling sad, let alone like deal with more complex emotions. So I think there's definitely an element of like men are meant to kind of keep the chin up, be extremely stoic and just push through. And, you know, I mean, you know, I mean so, sometimes that works for men, but it's not the most healthy way to deal with emotion. I think the best way to deal with emotion and to deal with your mental health is to talk openly about it. And once I got to a point where I was feeling more comfortable with myself, that's what I've been doing for the last seven years, just talking openly writing openly just discussing mental health issues as uh, authentically as I can because I think that's the that's the most effective way to encourage other people to do the same well done well done and and are you also and have you noticed over those years that you have opened up that because you're so open to talking about your own battles with mental health that others feel more comfortable talking to you personally for sure yeah I think like I, I've, I've talked about this quite a lot recently actually um 
there's what like once you talk about it you you automatically uh signpost other people that this is a place you can come to talk about your mental health issues because you're talking about it so for sure like i run a blog called thoughts too big and that's just all about mental health and you know i get messages on the daily just people either you know they recognize what i've been going through or it resonates with them and they don't feel alone and then they tell me what they've been going through and it's really really positive because people don't feel alone anymore and i think it's it's probably the the most significant uh thing i've noticed about talking is that people no longer feel alone which is fantastic Mm. and that's what we need to do isn't it we need to have more of these conversations because by having these conversations we're we're normalizing what, it's something exactly. that, that should be normalised. Yeah, and I, exactly. And that's why, you know, I got involved with uh, organisations like Sea Change because that's their whole thing is to normalise the conversation around mental health and mental ill health. So, like, the fact that, you know, the Green Ribbon um, campaign is exactly, that's the exact purpose of it is to just, you see the Green Ribbon, you ask about it, you have a conversation about mental health. It's really natural. And it just make it doesn't make it feel like, it's a conversation you shouldn't be having, which I think over the last, you know, 10 years ago when Irby died, I think it always felt like a conversation that was like taboo. Yeah, I mean, it was only last week, I think, or the week before in the programme, I was speaking with a, a psychiatrist, just can't remember the gentleman's name, uh, but we were talking about the CAM service and, and how the d- delays with young people getting into to CAMs, etc. Uh, but they, when we were having the conversation, I was making the point that if I have you know, God forbid I got a kidney infection in the morning and I ended up going to the doctor and ended up being put on an antibiotic. I can openly come into work and say to everyone, oh, I'm on an antibiotic for my kidney infection. But yet, so, I, I, would I as easily come in and say, oh my God, I'm really struggling with mental health at the moment. I'm on antidepressants. We, we don't openly, and, and there should be nothing wrong with saying, I need a bit of help at the moment. Absolutely. And I think like that's I think you've you've kind of nailed where the gap in what work needs to be done. Like we're we are getting better as a society of having these conversations, you know, like just far more uh, people openly talk about mental health. But there still is that stigma, especially in the workplace where it's like you can't actually like you don't feel like you can say you're struggling with your mental health because there might be repercussions or there might be, you know, you might be treated differently and that's still a, a big problem in society for sure. I, I've noticed, and maybe it's only me, I think young people, I mean, certainly secondary school pupils today and the young people going to college, they seem to mm-hmm. be getting much better at talking about either their own mental health or a family member's mental health. Would you agree? Absolutely. Like, I think, you know, as I said, like over the last 10 years, I think it's been night and day in terms of like, it wasn't talked about at all and now it's talked about everywhere it's it's a really like positive space and i think you know these things can't change at the snap of a finger or overnight but you can see it in the generations that like younger people are more open to talking about it and it's fantastic and that does bleed into the older generations like i i know parents and my own parents are more comfortable talking about mental health because i've talked about it or younger people have talked about it it's become more uh, prominent in society to be able to talk about it so it does bleed into the older generations as well which is also very important OK for people who've never heard about this Green Ribbon campaign as I mentioned it's in its 10th uh, uh, year just explain what mm-hmm. it is and how it works So the Green Ribbon campaign the launch is in uh, Mallow on the 6th of September which is next Tuesday from 11 to 1 in the Hibernian Hotel uh, the launch is free to attend you just have to sign up on the website but essentially the green ribbon you're given a little green ribbon 
there's a and then each uh year there's a different theme about what the conversations around and this year the theme is shame so basically the green ribbon comes with like a little information card and it gives you advice on how to like start conversations about shame how to deal with shame and there's like tons of resources around c-chain so like essentially the campaign is an awareness campaign to you know encourage people to openly talk about mental health and arrange a specific theme as i said so this year is shame which i think is really important as i said like in in my own experience shame played a, a big part and i think it plays a big part in a lot of people's mental health struggles so we're just trying to start a conversation and again normalize the conversation around mental health and shame i assume dara stops people going forward to get help yeah like in in my experience and i've heard hundreds of people kind of say similar it it, it does prevent you from seeking help whether it's like you need to go to a gp or go uh, go to therapy because because you feel ashamed of yourself or there's a an element of shame a chapter uh, attached to how you're experiencing what's going on there's a reluctance to admit that there's something wrong at least in, in my experience that's definitely how it felt and would you say dara the first port to call is your gp if if you are struggling yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely uh, GP first. I mean, that's probably the most direct route, but there's also like, you know, there's a lot of counselling service, like the core counselling service, for example, mymind.org. If you go on to seachange.ie, there's signposting for dozens of organisations where you can get help. But I mean, if you're unsure, I would definitely go to the GP and they, they'll point you in the right direction as well. Okay, and you're part of the launch. You're going to be attending the launch next Tuesday in, in the Hibernian Hotel? Yeah, so I'll be there on the 6th and uh, I'll be talking, um, I think, towards the end. It's just a two-hour event, so I'll be I'll be giving a 10-minute a talk towards the end. And then if you can't make it on the 6th, there's also another event called Together at the Castle in uh, the Mallow Castle at 1 to 5 p.m. on uh, Sunday the 11th. So I know uh, Tuesday might work for people yeah. who are working, but Sunday the 11th, um, it's also a completely free event. You can just show up. Yeah, and that's for, for all ages. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I've, I've seen posters around town uh, for it and people can find out more at seachange.ie uh, forward slash uh, Green Ribbon and it will be terrific uh, for throughout the month of September to see lots of people just walking around wearing a little green ribbon because it's just an indication to others that you, you can freely talk to me about your own mental health and I'll share with you uh, what I'm thinking on, on my uh, mental health. And just Dara, while we have you on because as I introduced you, you are uh, an author. You had your second book of poetry out in the summer how, how poems that were written on trains but weren't written about trains that made me smile <laughs> uh, tell me about your, your poetry uh, yeah so that book of poetry I did a, a nine week solo travel trip around Europe um, towards the end of last year uh, so essentially each poem was written on a different train I was I was kind of interrailing primarily so each poem was written uh, on a different train about a different experience in a different city and the book itself, if you read it from like cover to cover, also is kind of a narrative of what went on in that trip. So it's like it was a really fun uh, project to work on and uh, the, the feedback's been fantastic. So I'm really I'm really proud of it. Terrific, terrific. Well done. And you're writing a book at the moment. Uh, well, actually, I just finished. Uh, it's a collection of essays on mental health called Lonely Boy. We actually just revealed the cover today. I mean, my publisher, Book Hub. Um, so the Lonely Boys coming in November 24th. Uh, the launch will be, uh, I think it's planned to be in Waterstones on the 24th of November, which is a Thursday. Uh, but yeah, it's a book on mental health, kind of my own um, 
dealings with mental health struggles and how I kind of overcame different things. So are they, are really, they, is, like, it, is it your own story? Start, yeah, 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 my own story. But done in, in, uh, in the form of short stories? Uh, no, it's, um, it's a collection of essays. So okay. previously I would have had collections of short stories. So this is my first, my debut in non-fiction. So it's something well I'm done. really looking forward to, to getting out there. It's, it's an exciting time. You it's might come time. back on and talk to us when, when the book is out. Oh, I'd absolutely love to. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Thank we, you. We, we, I would, would love to review and have a chat with you about that. And then also, did I read somewhere you're going to be a writer in residence in Spain? Yeah, that's correct. Um, October, just for a week in October. So I applied for it last January, got awarded it just, I think it was towards the end of June. So yeah, I'll be, it's a place called Olet. Uh, it's just north of Barcelona, a bit an hour north of Barcelona. So, yeah, they basically will look after me for the week so I can concentrate on writing something new. Fantastic. Well done. Well done. Listen, <laughs> continue good luck with your writing. And it's amazing what, what you're doing for uh, Sea Change as one of their ambassadors. Uh, we wish you luck on your continued journey, Dara. And thank you so much. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks, Patricia. I really appreciate uh, it. Have good, a good morning luck. to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Have a good day. That is uh, Dara Fleming. What a lovely uh, young man. Just having that whole thing of just having a normal conversation around mental health. It is okay if you're struggling with your mental health or there's a member of your family that's struggling with your mental health. There's no shame and we shouldn't be ashamed and we shouldn't, there's no shame around talking about it either. So keep a lookout for the Green Ribbons. As I say, that particular Green Ribbon campaign, it's in its uh, 10th year and it runs throughout the month of September and the idea is that people should wear uh, Green Ribbons. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I don't know if anybody else is in the same situation as the one of our listeners to say, Hi Patricia, I'm just wondering about the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. I applied for it on the 19th of July and I've received nothing to date. Here we are, 1st of September and the children are all back in school. I emailed them yesterday but I got one of those automatic messages back saying that they're only looking at applications that were received on the 11th of July. My children all went back to school today and it's been really, really tough. I haven't been to pay for the book rental fees yet and um, I haven't bought their jumpers, thank God, for the fine uh, weather. Well, on the book rental, I, I would say have a chat with the school. The schools are great and the schools are going to be really understanding about voluntary contributions uh, as well. But I didn't realise, I know there was a bigger demand for people applying for the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. I didn't realise that they're that far behind I mean, if they're only working on the 11th of July and you put in your application on the 19th, you have at least another week. But, you know, if you know you're entitled to it, you will receive the money. But I know I can I I can understand and sense the stress uh, in that particular uh, text, which kind of ties in with what the Society of Vincent de Paul are saying. They're talking to people who are parents who are losing a night's sleep with worry about getting the children back to school. But if they're only working on the 11th of July and they're obviously doing it on a day by day uh, basis, it possibly will be another week. I don't know how many applications went in that late for the back to school clothing and uh, footwear allowance. So hopefully you will hear from them sooner rather than later. 0818 and someone else is suggesting that the Swallows will be leaving us in a few days. Any chance of the politicians? 
We'll go as well. The politicians really get a tough, tough time. And by the way, I saw a couple of WhatsApps in about Mary Kate. That was the young student from Tralee who joined us yesterday. God help us. I think a lot of people felt so sorry for her. Less now than two weeks to her going back into her second year in UCC and she has nowhere to live. And because of our chat with her yesterday, we had um, a number of phone calls in from people making suggestions and even some offers of places that might be suitable for Mary Kate. So what John Paul did when we came off air yesterday was he was putting Mary Kate in contact with some of the calls we had in yesterday. And I know he was uh, hoping to, he was trying to check in with us this morning. He hasn't been able to get through to her yet just to find out are any if any of the accommodation is suitable. But as soon as we find out and it will be terrific if following our chat yesterday that we do manage to get accommodation for Mary Kate because what she's now looking at doing, she doesn't want to defer her place. So what she's looking at doing would be over six hours of a commute every morning, getting the train from Tralee. She'd have to change in Mallow, then up to the city and then she'd have to get a bus to get her out to uh, UCC. She reckons over three hours in the morning and over three hours. So it'll be over six hours a day is what her commute will be, which is not ideal when she's also trying to study while in uh, college. So as soon as we get any confirmation, so fingers crossed that we will be able to find a place for Mary Kate to live as she head back into her, into her academic year, second year in uh, UCC. And actually just talking of uh, college students, the Gardaí are issuing a warning about a, what they're describing as a substantial increase in accommodation fraud. And actually the students' unions in Cork are there and are, are, are on hand to assist uh, students. Gardaí have warned of a spike in incidents which are targeting young peer, young people and in particular it's students returning to college. They say more than a 50% increase in victims of accommodation fraud in people under the age of 25. So in the main the students are under the age of 25. They say uh, this is from the MTU Cork Students Union President that's uh, Isabel Kavanagh. She says that that students should consult with their accommodation officer if they're unsure of whether or not a property is legitimate. She says if it looks too good to be true, then it probably is. And she's warned against rushing in to signing a contract. Students should not feel like they're under pressure to sign a lease are to pay anything before they're 100% sure that the property is real and also that the, the property is livable. The UCC Students Union, uh, their welfare officer, Alan O'Connor, she's agreed and she said they are seeing an increase in rental scams. She said students are finding it increasingly difficult to find affordable or adequate accommodation. And she said these students then are being taken advantage of and they are seeing a rise in rental scams at at UCC. They say they have seen the students who are most vulnerable to these rental scams are in particular the international students because unfortunately they're not familiar with the Irish rental market. UCC is recommending that anyone who is in the process of starting a tenancy you view the property, you establish that the person renting out the property owns it and has access to it before handing over any money at all. And anyone who's already fallen victim to any of these rental scams, they're saying, please, please report it to Angarda Siakona as soon as possible. And I saw in the Echo today, Detective Inspector Michael Crane of the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau also offering advice, saying you should only use 
recognised lending agency are only deal with people who are bona fide and people that you can trust. He points out that websites can so easily be cloned so it can look like very really is legitimate. So he's saying check the URL to ensure it's a real website. Take note of the privacy and the refund policy sections and then watch out for things like unsolicited contacts or where the contact appears to be based in another jurisdiction, especially if there is a sense of urgency, like, oh, this is a one time offer. Oh, if you don't sign up today, the property will be gone. Oh, there's loads of people looking at the, at the, the site. You know, anything with a sense of urgency in it should cause alarm bells to ring. He's advising people to use trusted money transfer systems, avoid paying into any cryptocurrency wallets and also be wary if a website is asking you to send money to a random PayPal address or if they're asking you to wire money or pay for long-term rental accommodation via a short-term letting website. So just please be very careful. But I think the the big fear factor with all of this is when you get someone like you know, young Mary Kay yesterday certainly seemed to have a wise head on her shoulders and hopefully she'd never be f- fooled by scam artists. But when you get students who are absolutely desperate to find accommodation and feel, you know, and therefore, because they're so stressed out trying to find the accommodation, it's then they mightn't be thinking clearly and it's then they might sign up to something or wire money or put money into a cryptocurrency wallet and it's then, of course, that they become very vulnerable and that's what the criminals know, that's what these fraudsters know and they're the group of people that they will target. So please be careful because there has been a rise in rental scams by for young people. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Somebody uh, is picking up on my interview in the last hour with uh, Dara Fleming, uh, who is uh, an author, but he's also a mental health blogger. And Dara joined us to talk about Sea Change, which is the charity that works to break down mental health stigma and this green ribbon campaign that's going to run throughout the month of September. And during the middle of my chat with Dara, he mentioned his blog. And somebody says, Patricia, would you give a shout out to the name of Dara's blog again, uh, if you could? I'm only too happy to do it. His blog is called Thoughts too big and the, the two being T-O-O thoughts too big now I haven't heard it but I've actually when I was chatting with Dara I actually made a note of the name of his blog so that I can uh, check it out over the over the weekend because seemingly it, 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 he actually won an award he's been nominated for lots of awards uh, under the Mental Health Blog Awards and he actually won Blogger of the Year this year under the Mental Health Blog Awards for Thoughts Too Big so uh, he certainly is uh, doing well from a blogging point of view so thoughts too big if you want to check out Dara's mental health blog 0818 103 103 if you have pet questions for Jane you can get them into John Paul or you can text her WhatsApp me while we're waiting on those questions can I go to some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme Eddie in Maham was taken aback with a call that I had received earlier from Joe in Kilmallock who was thinking about the energy crisis and thinking about ways that we could conserve energy and save on electricity. And one of the things he suggested was he remembers many years ago when he used to be out and about in Kilmallock that at midnight, he reckons the streetlights used to go out. 
go off. They were on a timer. They'd come on as the dark evenings came in and then at midnight you'd be plunged into complete darkness. And he says he remembers many a night coming home from Kilfinnan and walking to Kilmalik and the place would be in darkness. And Joe was just using it as, as, an, as a suggestion. Would it not be a good way to try to save energy? Could we start switching off the street lights? Well, Eddie in Maham was taken aback by that comment. And he said street lights off at midnight. Criminals according to Eddie, would have a field day. Now, Eddie says, in fairness to Joe's comment, that might have been an option years ago, but we're living in a very different era now. And he reckons that just would not float to have all our streetlights knocked off at 12 midnight. And then a number of people on about Stephen Donnelly and the fact that Stephen Donnelly has admitted that he forgot to an oversight on his behalf to register a property that he has. It's a rental property that he has and for three years he forgot to register it with the RTB. Uh, Derek wants to know, did Stephen Donnelly forget to collect the rent from that property for the three years that it wasn't registered with the RTB? I'm sure he didn't, Derek. And then Ed in Dalmanway says, if I don't pay my property tax this year, can I put that down to an oversight? (laughs) That's from Ed in Dalmanway. Now, I know earlier this morning when I was going through the paper, and looking online at the stories about uh, Stephen Donnelly there was a lot of people saying that he needs to come out and talk to the press and he needs to clarify exactly what has happened well this morning while we were on air he has been speaking to the media in uh, Dublin and the Minister for Health says he He's putting his hand up. He says he should have renewed the tenancy on the property with the RTB. He said, I missed it. It was my fault. It was a mistake. The minister said he thought everything was in order, but he decided to check it after the controversy last week over the property interests of the now former Minister of State, Robert Troy. And it was only when he checked it that he realised for three years he hadn't registered this particular property. He says he has now registered registered it. He also paid a fine of €100 Euro when he updated the tenancy with the RTB. And speaking to the media this morning, he said that to the best of his knowledge, all the facts about the issue have now emerged. He also, by the way, described himself as an accidental landlord. He defended his previous calls in the Dáil also for those who find themselves in this position that they should pay less tax on their rental income. He says he it would have been known because his properties were in the Dáil's register of members' interest. Now, if he's an accidental landlord, is he saying he just has one property for rent, whereas Robert Troy was in a very different situation. He started buying properties at the age of 20, he said he bought his first property. He has 11 properties that he's renting out. So do I take it from Minister Donnelly? Like a lot of other people, uh, became accidental landlords, invested in a property, never planned on being a landlord and then due to negative equity some people couldn't sell on properties I don't know if, if that's the same with Stephen Donnelly or whether more will come out but he is putting his hand up and saying it was all his fault and that it was a mistake and of course as we mentioned earlier the three coalition leaders have all expressed their confidence in the uh, minister and nobody is looking for him to uh, resign even though some of our listeners are looking for him to uh, resign so that's just the latest on that the Stephen Donnelly story he did speak with the media earlier this morning. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. And just when I mentioned that a story I'd spotted on the newswires earlier out of Roscommon and it's to do with a referee who was officiating at an underage game in Roscommon yesterday evening. He was allegedly assaulted. Now there's an investigation going on. Uh, Now... uh, 
you would wonder how bad the assault was because an ambulance had to be called and the match obviously was subsequently abandoned and Roscommon GAA and the county's competition control committee have commenced a full investigation uh, into the incident and I've also seen an update on the story that the Gardaí say they're aware of a video circulating on social media of the alleged incidents at the sports ground and they're also conducting inquiries into the matter so if there's a video circulating you'll be sure by within an hour or two it'll have gone viral everybody will have seen it and that means everyone will be able to clearly see how bad this alleged assault was and I mean the fact that an ambulance was called it would lead you to believe that uh, God help us it must have been a fairly bad alleged assault anyway we wait and see but the Gardaí now are conducting inquiries into the matter but I mentioned that earlier as I say when I saw it coming down the news wires Finbar has contacted us by text now John Paul tried to put a call through because I would like to have had a chat with Finbar but Unfortunately, he wasn't able to take our call. He's the minor manager at Sarsfields. And he says, as a minor hurling manager in Sarsfields in Glanmire, we tell our lads there is no communication with the referee. He has a job to do, so leave him get on with it. I hear the abuse on a regular basis. Name calling of the foulest form from on the pitch and outside the fence from the crowd. A sin bin of between five and ten 10 minutes might be the way forward says Finbar yeah yeah and that verbal abuse that's tough to take as well and we've speaking spoken speaking we have spoken with referees over the years who've just gave up I mean you know they just decided no can't do this anymore because of the verbal abuse they've received but to physical assault I mean assault that would warrant an ambulance being called just something something has to happen we have to see an end to it and maybe Finbar in SARS maybe his suggestion is a good one would a sin bin work and maybe if there was a sin bin in place it might make people just stop and think because no one wants to end up in the sin bin it might make them stop and think before they they, they assault somebody verbally or uh, physically but uh, well done that does seem like a really good message to get across to the young people or to any player on the pitch no communication with the referee he is there to do a job so leave him alone even if you don't always agree with what the referee is uh, saying 0818 are doing 0818 103 103 earlier in the day we spoke with Siobhan Buckley who is the principal of the National School in Mill Street and she was talking about schools and how schools are really going to struggle this year unless the capitation grant that's paid to schools to cover all their bills in order to run the school uh, is increased because if it remains the same okay so if the capitation grant remains the same unfortunately their energy bills their heating bills their lighting bills their insurance bills none of those are remaining the same so they have to get the money from somewhere and you could hear Siobhan such a compassionate principle saying you know you can't. You can only go so often to parents to say, "Can you help us out?" And she said, even though they have a voluntary contribution, if parents aren't able to pay it, they don't go knocking on the door. They don't put any pressure on the parents to pay the voluntary contribution. Now we've heard from other schools who do put pressure on parents and I often defend the schools in saying if they've all these bills coming in they have to get the money from somewhere but so many families are struggling this year the voluntary contribution I think is going to become an even bigger issue this year than it has been in previous years. I got a voice note on WhatsApp in from Jackie on 
the voluntary contributions. Take a listen to what Jackie has to say. Hi Patricia, I think it's time for Norma Foley and the Department of Education to put a stop to voluntary contribution requests to parents because it is just not viable for probably most people now. And I think it's time for National Parents Council Primary and National Parents Council Post Primary to start kicking up a stink on this one. They're rather silent. Okay, thank you to uh, Jackie uh, for that. It's a voice note on uh, WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Do the parents, councillors have to get involved in this and say to the school, you can't go to parents this year. Or do you leave it as it is a voluntary contribution and that those that can pay, pay, and those that can't, don't pay, but let there be no pressure or let there be no discrimination against families that do pay and don't pay. Because I know over the years when we've heard from families, not certainly we haven't heard any so far this year, but when we've heard from families in the past who say we don't have the money for the voluntary contribution and we're always saying engage with the school, pick up the phone, speak to the principal. You know, you don't have to get into the nitty gritties of what's going on in your household, but you can say, look, we're not in a position this year to be able to pay it. And I think in the majority of cases, most principals will take that on board. But how often have we heard from parents to say they would be fearful of going down that route for fear that their child gets stigmatised in some way or gets called out in some way, which I'm, oh, please God, that would never happen. But I know everybody wants their children to be the very same as everybody else in the classroom. 0818103103 and the possibility of power cuts and people are worried about, will we, I mean, people are worried about two things. They're worried about the cost of electricity, but also worried about power cuts going into the winter. Paul and Don Garvin is making an interesting point that pending power cuts for people living in rural area areas. It's not just about the lights or the heating, but also there will be no water as the wells that people have in a rural area. You need power to work those systems. So that's going to be an added worry for people in rural areas. Thank you for your text, Paula. And somebody suggested solar panels and that we need the government to be investing more and making it easier and cheaper for people to install solar panels. Somebody said if you install solar panels and you supply the excess power to the grid, then you should get the very same price as the wind farms get. But as we know, that's not the case. That does not happen here. But at the end of the day, says this texter, this is Ireland where fairness doesn't seem to apply. 0862103103. Your texts and WhatsApps welcomed. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Kildonery Community Development, they've got their week draw on this afternoon it'll be four o'clock in the community office they've got a jackpot of five thousand euro and the cape clear international storytelling festival kicks off tomorrow it runs through until next sunday now they have a combination of live daytime events on cape clear but there's also online evening events on zoom and please note due to limited capacity tickets for the in-person events must be purchased in advance Ballinhasic Community Development. They've got social dancing on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tomorrow night. Dancing to Katrina O'Sullivan from 9.30 to 12.30. Admission €10 and that does include teas. There'll be a farewell party for Father Jerry Thornton, parish priest of Union Hall. 
That takes place in the community hall tomorrow night at 8. All are welcome. And a fundraising dance for the Air Ambulance will also be held tomorrow night in the CYMS Hall in Newmarket. Dancing from 9, it's to the Mike Condon Band with the lovely Sheila Fitzgerald and Anne-Marie O'Reardon. And Pat Spratt and Father Eugene Baker, both from Botterland, will attempt to climb the seven highest peaks of Munster. Now, they're also doing it to raise funds for the Irish Community Air Ambulance based in Rathcool. They're holding a launch night this Saturday, 8 o'clock in O'Neill's Bar in Butterfront with a barbecue and music on Saturday night. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie message in from our traffic department to say that there has been a road traffic collision on the N8 eastbound before the Dunkettle interchange off the slip road. Motorists should approach with caution and if possible use an alternative route. That's on the N8 eastbound before the Dunkettle interchange off slip. Uh, if you can take a different route, please do. Still getting in so many texts and calls about Stephen Donnelly. This has really, really annoyed people, the fact that he's come out. And he has put his hand up and said, look, I forgot. It's all my fault. I forgot to register a property. It had been registered for a number of uh, years. He must have purchased the property or started renting it anyway in 2011. It was registered from 2011 to 2015 correctly registered and then due to an oversight the tenancy wasn't registered in 2019 so I don't know what happened in 16, 17 and 18 maybe it wasn't rented out then but anyway he's rectified it but he's put his hand up and said it is all his fault he forgot it was. Column in Butterfield says the thing that surprises Column in Butterfield is that TDs they all get expenses for computers and tablets and phones and they get expenses towards the cost of secretaries etc have they not got a secretary working for them who could have followed up with the RTB? Colin Butterman says they'd be fairly quick to follow up if it was an expense form that they needed to fill in. And Nora says, Patricia, with all of the memory loss amongst some of our politicians, I now understand how they forgot to build enough houses, how they forgot to fix the health system and how they haven't noticed that the country is in a shambles. That's a lot of very sarcastic comments coming in today. And Mary says on Stephen Donnelly, kind of coming out in in defence of Stephen Donnelly, I don't know why, says Mary, any landlord would bother registering with the RT. They are nothing more than a platform for tenants. They're of no use to a landlord. And once a landlord declares the property for tax, they then must pay property tax. But I think they're legally obliged. It's not a case of Mary, I'll register with the Residentials Tenancy Board or maybe I won't. By law, if you're renting a property, you must register with the Residential Tenancy Board. And then as we discovered, not being a landlord, I wasn't aware of this, you have to re-register it. I think, is it every year or every time there's a new tenancy I'm not too sure how, how that works but that's how Robert uh, Troy reckons he got caught out uh, last year he didn't fully understand what he was meant to do. Okay, that's just some of your calls and comments uh, coming in on Stephen Donnelly. We are looking for your pet questions. If you've got a pet question please for Jane you can call John Paul 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp your pet question to 086 
to 103 103. Can we wish the best of luck to all of the Leaving Cert students, the class of 2022, the long wait, and it's probably, I'm open to questions, is this the longest wait any Leaving Cert students have have ever had? Comes to an end tomorrow. Uh, More than 60,000 candidates will receive their grades tomorrow morning. And the National Parents Council post-primary section, their helpline, they run a really brilliant helpline every single year. It will be open again this year, 1-800-265-165. I'll make a note of that number and we'll call it out again tomorrow for you as well. 1-800-265-165. They'll be on hand to answer queries from students are from their parents, are from their guardians, are indeed any other member of the family. Anyone's got an interest in leaving search, if you have a question, it will open tomorrow and it will remain open for 13 days uh, and it will obviously also cover the release of the the first round CAO uh, offers which will be coming out in the next a number of days. 2pm to 8pm each day up to and including Tuesday the 14th of September and of course the helpline is always staffed by members of the Institute of Guidance Council and they're there to offer confidential one-on-one support to anyone who might have a query about the Leaving Cert tomorrow and of course it's run in conjunction with the National Parents uh, Council and they, they their advice is that while some parents may be anxious about the results they want to point out that there is all always a solution to every problem no matter how big or how small and there are many different routes to reaching your goal and that's what the Leaving Cert students today must remember and particularly tomorrow if they're a little bit disappointed with the results and we'll have our career guidance expert we'll do a piece on the programme tomorrow for the Leaving Cert results Roshan Kelleher our career guidance expert will join us but I just want to wish the best of luck to all of the students and to the mammies and daddies and the grannies and the granddads and there'll be lots of grannies will have lit the candle for the Leaving Cert and no doubt there'll be candles lighting again today in advance of the results tomorrow and just by the way with winter a coming and a knocking on our door and it looks like with the amount of rain that's been forecast across the weekend it looks like win- winter is going to come in a little bit earlier uh, this year but uh, Met Air and I know we ran this ran a section about this on the news earlier on they've given out the new list of names for the storms now they do that every year around this time and this is the storms that hopefully we won't get many of these storms but the storms that could hit the country between 2022 and 2023. Now the names are compiled by Met Aram but they join forces with the UK Met Office and they also for some reason join forces with the Dutch National Weather Forecaster and as in previous years names are suggested by members of the public and then a group of meteorologists get together and they decide to pick what names will they use and uh, and every year they get a very eclectic mix of names uh, so the fact that they come from right across uh, Ireland the United Kingdom and from Holland that's why you get all of the different names so I can just tell you some of the storms that we might be expecting this year the first one to get that will get a name it always start, it goes Starts with the alphabet. It starts with A, and they go th- run through the alphabet. Now they don't have every. They don't have twenty six uh, names. I don't know that they about fifteen of them. Um, Antonio Storm Antonio will be the first one. Doesn't sound too frightening, but the second one made me smile. Storm Betty. I wonder what Storm Betty. Let's hope we don't get a Storm Betty. And then it will be Storm Killian, Storm Daisy, Storm Elliot, Storm Fleur, Storm Glen. Storm Hend- Hendrika, Storm Ida, Storm jo- Joanna, Joanna, 
Uh, Lowe's is in there. Storm Mark. Storm Nelly is another one that made me style. Priya could have a storm name, Storm Priya. Sam gets a mention this year. Uh, Tobias gets a mention. And so does Val. And actually, I heard... Evelyn Cusack from the, the head of the forecasting department of Met Air and on our news earlier saying that some people get disappointed when their names are not included as a possible storm uh, name. Uh, so if your name isn't included this year, there's always hopes that you could be included in uh, f- future years. And of course, I suppose the big one that stands out from last year was Storm Eunice. That was probably one of our biggest storms that happened in February of last year, Thursday the 17th of February. Thousands of homes and businesses because of Storm Eunice were without power. And of course with Storm Eunice we had a status red warning issued on that day. So we don't know how many of those storms names storm names will actually be used and hopefully we may not get to use any of them but they're used as a guide just generally to let people know that this is quite a tricky weather situation and it can be by the naming of it it also suggests that it could be quite dangerous and that people need to be careful 0818 103 Lines are open. John Paul's taking your calls. We are looking in particular for your pet questions, please, for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, up after these. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we're heading to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where we're joined by our resident vet, Jane Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. We start with Tony in Carrick Tuhill, who has a seven-year-old Labrador dog, male, but is neutered. Well done, Tony. Uh, describes the dog as been in great form, but just of late, he appears to be gone off his food. And Tony's also started to notice that if he runs after about a minute, the dog will start to limp. Could they be connected in any way to him going off his food as well? Okay, so this is an interesting one. I think first and foremost, I'd say, well, has anything changed with this diet? So has the brand of food you're feeding changed or the times of day or the amount changed? If so, some of that could change his appetite a little bit. But it does sound like if that's not related to a change of food, that it would be a a kind of a red flag that you need to delve a little bit further. So a seven year old Labrador is is pretty much, a, a you know, kind of in, in, the, in their prime, as it were, but they are getting towards middle age for their breed. So what I will say is that any change in any dog should always be taken as a, a signal to take it further. I would suggest that the first thing I would do would be get him checked over by your vet, have a full physical exam. It may be that they might want to do some screening tests. So I know that normally in in patients over six or seven for most breeds, we would recommend kind of uh, annual or biannual blood tests just to screen for any early issues that might be causing the inappetence. It is possible that the lameness for running um, after kind of a minute or two may be connected with the loss of appetite. The loss of appetite is quite a vague sign, but it is, you know, one of the first ones we generally see in unwell dogs. There are certain diseases that might cause them to be uncomfortable that could be affecting his appetite and also causing the limp. But it is also possible they could be totally separate. What I will say is either sign on its own, whether it be the kind of lack of appetite reduction in appetite 
or the lameness after after a minute or two of running, they're both things that we need to attend the vet for. So we want our pets to be comfortable living their lives, comfortable when they're out and being mobile and active. And if he's becoming lame after a minute or two of running, then that's a sign that something's going on. So he must be in discomfort somehow. Now it could just be muscular or it could be something a little bit more troublesome, and um, whether it be a, a ligament, a tendon, or even a bone issue. So I really suggest that on both fronts with the inappetence and also the kind of lameness periodically after running I think you really need to attend your vet um, and let them know what's going on the starting point is a full physical exam and they'll be able to guide you from there yeah and any sort of issues like that uh, it, it's kind of a bit the same as humans the earlier any mm. any condition or whatever is picked up the easier it is to treat I take it is it Absolutely. And I think I know as a pet owner myself, we're always worried about finding issues with our pets or having diagnoses that we may not be so comfortable with. What I will say, though, is the earlier we find and treat things through screening or being really vigilant and catching signs early um, and seeking veterinary assistance generally for most diseases, that gives us more options. And we have longer to be able to intervene and help that pet stay well and have a good quality of life for as long as possible. So I know there sometimes is a hesitancy, the kind of um, ignorance is bliss to a certain degree. But what I will say is that in the long term, you'll be really, really thankful that you attended your vet, even if it's only to put your mind at rest, that you attended your vet, made sure your pet is okay. And if any further treatment or investigation was needed, that that options are there for you at that point in time when we can still do something to help. We see a lot of pets in the latter stages of their disease as a first presentation and you know it's quite challenging at that point sometimes the changes are, are very far gone and our options are a little bit more limited so the earlier the better okay linda's been on on behalf of her mum her mum has a five-year-old jack russell that linda says is very overweight she says the dog appears to be constantly hungry it is new it's a neutered male always begging for food. Linda reckons part of that, that's part of the reason why the dog is so overweight. But she's wondering, could this constant hunger be a health issue in a five-year-old Jack Russell? It could be, but that would be a less common cause. A lot of the time, kind of constant hunger, begging is, is really habit-based. Ba- habit so dogs will get used to kind of begging, asking for food, getting some of the really good stuff. So sometimes when they're given treats at this point, it's, you know, most households or most owners that I know and myself, sometimes we might give them a treat that's not their normal standard run of the mill morning and evening meal. So it's something extra special. So we're kind of habituating them by giving them these treats during the day into begging, into looking for these extra special things. And what I will say is that, you know, because they're super tasty for them, we're just reinforcing that behavior every time. For those kind of treats that are not their standard dog food, so not kind of standard commercially available dog food fed in kind of a a sensible amount for their normal meals. When we feed them human food or when we feed them treats, we need to remember that, you know, depending on what we're feeding them, it might be a small morsel or a small biscuit for us. But for them, for their body size and for their muscle mass, that's the equivalent of like 10 Mars bars. So we really need to take it in context, even though it's a small morsel of food we might be treating them with. For them, it's, uh, it's the equivalent of an absolute gorging meal. So it can put on weight quite quickly. And obviously those treats are for us. We know they're super tasty. So for the dogs are really reinforcing that begging behavior. So they can seem like they're hungry all of the time because they want the, you know, the sweet, the really good stuff all of the time. And they may, as a result, be less interested in their normal kind of healthy, balanced diet that they might be receiving, you know, daily for their for their breakfast and dinner. 
What I will say is there are a number of causes of kind of constant hunger that we might see a lot more rarely in pets um, that could be related to hormonal problems or, you know, kind of uh, their metabolism, their um, nutrient absorption. But what I will say in an overweight pet, those things are really, really, really uncommon. Those issues will be a lot more, a lot more common in dogs that were maybe losing weight or had other changes, other clinical signs. So far and away, the most common cause of kind of constant hunger and weight gain is really, you know, habituating pets into into begging for treats and kind of reinforcing by giving them lots of food all of the time. It really does sound like first for to call, I'd say, like like us with any weight loss journey, the first thing you say is attend your GP and ask for advice. So I would say if this is something you want to embark on, double check that there is nothing wrong in the background. So attend your vet for a checkup, full physical exam, but with a view to asking them about weight loss. As long as there's no issues flagged and they don't have any suspicion of any underlying health issues that might be causing the problem, they will be a good first port of call to discuss the dietary habits with you. And also they may refer you to a weight loss clinic either with themselves or sometimes nurses are you know, really, really passionate about weight control in many cases. So they may be able to facilitate kind of a weight clinic for your pet. And that will be kind of regular weight weighing and a diet that's very specific. So they'll be able to calculate exactly how many calories your pet needs to lose weight safely. So with pets and weight loss, it's really important that kind of slowly, slowly wins the race. Fast kind of drastic measures are not healthy for us as humans, but also really not healthy for pets. Um, and in some cases, particularly in cats, drastic weight loss can be really, really dangerous and life threatening. So it is important to do it. If you have a significant amount, amount of weight for your pet to lose, it's really important to seek professional help with that so that it can be done consistently and safely. But so you're, so you're, putting, really, really well you're, you're putting the yeah. dog on a diet and probably increasing exercise, but it does work. You, you have seen dogs lose, very overweight dogs lose weight. Absolutely. I have seen some fantastic transformations, patients that have lost really consistent weight over a period of time and their health is all the better for it. They live longer. Yeah, they absolutely live live longer. Uh, And this is another issue to do with a a dog being hungry. It's to do with a a 13 year old Bichon Frise. I feed her first thing in the morning. Now, she doesn't eat much during the day, doesn't look for much food during the day. But from about six o'clock in the evening, she'll start eating the cat food if it's left out. Then she's constantly looking for food whenever we're sitting around the table eating and it'll go on and on until eventually we take all evidence of food away from her. Now I'm starting to think maybe I should be feeding her more. How often should she be fed and what time is best for the last feed? A 13-year-old Bichon Frise. Okay, so this is, I suppose, a very similar situation to the last query, but with the added thing that our pet is a little bit older here. So I, I would really say that, you know, before before you change anything, take your pet for a health check to your vet, just to make sure, given their slightly more advanced age, that nothing is going on in the background that might be causing a change in habits. That said, it does sound like your pet may be getting a lot of treats and a lot of snacks and a lot of the really good stuff in the evening, potentially when the family are around. And that may be making it less inclined to eat its normal diet at its normal meal times. Um, obviously, some dogs get very wily and they start holding out for the good stuff later on. Um, and sometimes they may just be may just be full and may not want to eat their normal normal meal. So I think first step, double check with your vet that there's nothing up. Take them for a full physical exam, perhaps some routine routine kind of blood work as they're a little bit older. And provided there's no issues, I really think two solid meals in the day is a good idea as a basis now have a chat with your vet about your own specific situation and your pet they might advise that there's additional meals during the day depending on what's going on 
But for a standard dog, a breakfast and a dinner. I'd probably feed the dinner around six or seven o'clock at night so that your dog has time to digest it before they go to sleep and also to go outside and to do a bowel motion before they go to bed. So that's a helpful thing to do. It is really important that you feed the correct amount for your pet. So when you're in with your vet, get them to weigh your pet and then you'll be able to assess, well, as per the back of the packet, what's the suggested amount? And you can have a chat with your vet if you have any doubts about that as to how much you should be feeding. But it's really important to feed a good quality kind of a good quality, ideally nut based diet. Now, one thing I'd say is if your pet is trying to eat softer food, it may be an early indication that they might have oral pain. So tooth pain, toothache. So when you're in at the vet, it's really important that they just check that there is no preference towards the softer food or treats and that it's not an issue that they're having with the nuts because of pain in the tooth. Particularly but with an older look, dog. Think, yeah. And yeah. it's it's all about yeah. feeding today. Hi, question for Jane, your, your vet, uh, please. Our Labrador will be a year mid-September. Should he be on one meal a day or two? he's been fed on kibble okay so um this is to a degree personal preference i would normally suggest that most dogs would get two meals a day and that's because i think i think about ourselves so if we were going all day and only had one meal a day our blood sugar stability probably wouldn't be great and i think it's a fair assumption to assume for for dogs and cats it would be very similar similar now some dogs they do manage really well on once a day and it is a personal preference but my preference and what i feel is generally appropriate for most dogs is two meals and that doesn't mean 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 like feeding them double the amount you can have the amount that they're having between a morning and an evening meal but it'll keep them a little bit fuller for longer yeah i think it's, it's a generally good idea okay and seeing as you've mentioned dental issues Lisa uh, was on she has a 12 week old Cocker Spaniel pup now she said her older collie dog had very bad teeth uh, issues later in his life and she doesn't want the same for this little one should she be brushing the pup's teeth and if so how Okay, well, this is brilliant. This makes me really, really happy because um, this listener has a great opportunity to get in there early for their pet and improve their dental health over the course of their life. So you're exactly on the right track. The thing I would recommend is getting them used to brushing their teeth. It's the number one thing that can prevent character buildup because we're using toothpaste that will be dog safe. That's my first tip. Don't use human toothpaste. Some of the ingredients are not safe for dogs and also they don't like the minty taste. So visit your pet shop or your vet and they'll be able to give you a kind of a, it's usually a beef or chicken flavoured one and it's safe for pets should they ingest small amounts of it. So use a pet flavoured toothpaste and use a, a toothbrush which is reasonably robust. So you don't want anything flimsy that will have little fragments break off in your pet's mouth should they chew on the on the, on the brush by accident. What I would suggest to begin with is really start very slowly. Don't expect to brush their whole mouth on day one. That's probably a month down the line. Get them used to even just sniffing or licking at the toothpaste off the brush and then slowly move it inside their gums for even two or three seconds and reward them with the treat. You really need to make it a positive experience that they look forward to that's bonding with you. And it will take a little while before you can get them to brush the whole mouth. And then I would say longer term, as regularly as possible. If you can do it every day, brilliant. If you can do it every second day, that's still fine. I think the important thing is making it a regular habit and starting when they're puppies, it's a really great time to do it because everything that happens to them within the first few months of life, they kind of take as normal. So they're really adaptable. Their brains are just, you know, absolute sponges at this point. So if you start slowly, get them used to it, make it a positive experience that will help to keep your pet's dental health good over time. OK, well done. Well done. OK, uh, thanks for that, uh, Jane. We'll chat again next Thursday. 
You too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. That is Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will have advice for leaving Sir students tomorrow. Best of luck to all of them as they pick up the results tomorrow morning. Until tomorrow 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.